0: We're in the beginning of a series called Miracles, and uh, I I truly am uh, looking forward. I know we we sort of jump started this two weeks ago, took a break last week, and we're coming back to it. Um, But I want you to think about what what is a miracle? When someone says miracle, what comes to your mind? And again, the question I asked before was do you believe in miracles? Uh, perhaps you want to believe in a miracle, but you've not seen anything really transpire in your life spiritually, so you sort of question the whole thing of miracles. But maybe you've seen a miracle and you can proclaim beyond a shadow of a doubt, I've seen a miracle and I've seen God at work. Matter of fact, two weeks ago when we were talking about miracles, um, somebody in our church, um, during the second service, at the end of the service, they received a text message which was incredibly great news, which they couldn't believe happened, and they were ready to proclaim, Miracles are true. You know, they wanted to, they came to me right after church and said, I wanted to shout it out. And I said, next time, go ahead and shout it out. It's okay. We need to hear that proclamation. I believe miracles happen. I believe that God has performed miracles in the past. God still performs miracles today. And I believe God will perform miracles tomorrow as well. God is at work. Now, in case you're not a sports fan, okay? Um, first, of all, I want to give a shout out. We have a lot of kids that are in music and art, in dance and sports. A lot of our kids are involved in many things, and i 've really enjoyed over the past month watching a lot of our athletes work hard, but when they 're done, meet at midcourt and pray. And I've tried to post as many pictures that get sent to me or that I take, and it is nothing more than an incredible blessing to watch that. So I want to thank a lot of our student athletes, and, and um, I'm not I'm not going to just exclude the athletes because even at dance a couple weeks ago, the kids at dance circled up and prayed as well. And so thank you for living out your faith in the midst of wherever you are. Um, but if you're not a sports fan, they, they called it the Minnesota Miracle. Now, the Minnesota Miracle refers to the NFL playoff game that took place last week, which I'm not a big fan of because I sort of like Drew Brees. He's a believer in Christ, and and I always like cheering him on, but he got beat. But anyway, so in that game, uh, this is what happened. I mean, the Hollywood script couldn't have written it up any better. Uh, It was desperation time for the Vikings late in the fourth quarter um, during the Sunday divisional game against the Saints. It didn't look good, okay? They were down three points with 10 seconds left in the game. And quarterback Case Keenum, who's hoping to throw a pass to get within field goal range, to give him a chance to win, to maybe go into overtime, okay? Instead, he throws a pass to his receiver, Stefan Diggs, for a 61-yard game-winning touchdown. If you saw the play, you're thinking, are you kidding me? How did they just do that? He should have never made it into the end zone. They uh, interviewed Stefan Diggs, Diggs at the end, and he said this. It's a storybook ending, and it never ends that way. Usually it's it's reality, okay? It's real life. Things go, you walk home, you worry about tomorrow, but today had other plans. I give it all to God because things like this just don't happen. I thought that was interesting, especially his last remark. Things like this just don't happen. Couldn't you go through the Bible? One miracle after another, and say things like this just don't happen. It's all right, and he's right, and that's what the, the Minnesota Miracle remind us that even when the odds are against us uh, and pointing towards defeat, when victory seems unlikely, and when it's hard to believe in a positive outcome, there's always hope. Right? There's always a chance. Now, sometimes there's that improbable wind helps us reinforce the hope that we have in Christ Jesus in our faith and our understanding of who Jesus is as a miracle worker in our lives. We serve a God who specializes in the impossible. We serve a God who specializes in the, in the ima- in imaginable. We serve a God who specializes in the unexplainable. Do you remember how God parted the Red Sea and allowed Moses to go through on dry land? Do you remember how God kept Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from burning up in that fiery furnace? Do you remember how David slayed Goliath with just a stone? Do you remember how Jesus walked on water? Do you remember how Jesus fed 5,000 people? Do you remember how Jesus turned 180 gallons of water into wine? Do you remember all those? Let's be clear. I'm not saying God wanted the Vikings to win, Okay. And I'm not saying that any of the last minute victories where people in the stands are praying for a victory, that God is sitting there going, oh, you prayed louder than the other team. So I don't believe that, okay? That victory that I just brought up just simply, simply, simply reminds me about the victory I have in Jesus. In improbable odds, Jesus can still be victorious in my life. That's what it reminds me. It bolsters my belief that nothing is too hard for God. In him, there's always hope to turn our lives around. In him, there's always hope to heal from our hurt. In him, there's always hope for broken relationships. In him, there's always hope to recover from damage that's been done in our relationships. In him, there is hope. And when things look bleak in our life and it seems like all hope is lost, improbable winds help refresh my memory that God is the ultimate play caller and the ultimate game clock manager. Psalm 145 3 says this Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. No one can fathom. Part of believing in a miracle is believing in a God who is able. And our God is able. Amen? Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4 verse 46. And from there, we have miracle number two that we're going to focus on today and study and sort of see what it has to say, what we can learn from this miracle. John chapter four, starting in verse 46. As John's writing this, um, you know, there's been a few chapters, you know, we were in uh, John two for that first miracle, and now we're in John four, and you think, well, there's been a lot of things that have occurred in between here and there, and there were. But this is referred to as the second miracle. Let's read it, starting in verse 46. As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. Ah, a little reference back to where he was returning, right? There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son, who was about to die. Everybody see the urgency of this that's going on? Verse 48, Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Now, Jesus was at Cana. This royal official had traveled about 20 miles. Now, I want you to think about this. He was walking, okay, just to meet Jesus. At a good walking pace, it's probably about a four to five hour journey for him to go those 20 miles. At Capernaum, by the way, is by the sea. So the walk to Cana is all uphill. Now think about this. Here's a royal official who's going to walk 20 miles uphill. Sounds like a story you tell your kids, right? I walk 20 miles uphill, both ways, just go to school, right? Well, he didn't go both ways uphill. He went one way uphill, 20 miles to go see Jesus, to seek this carpenter at the time for help, right? What does that tell you about this official when you read that? He made an effort, didn't he? He was desperate, wasn't he? He burned more calories in one day than a lot of marathon runners do in one race. We also know that he was most likely an officer of Herod Antipas, a man of high stature and standing. So we know that this royal official had power, had money, and it seemed to matter nothing, though, of his great need. We have to remember that suffering and affliction does not care how much money you have. It doesn't care about your title. doesn't care about the color of your skin. It doesn't care about your power, your intelligence, or your educational background, or your religious background. Suffering and affliction doesn't care. And this royal official was tasting suffering and affliction. And like many parents who came to Jesus on behalf of their children, here comes this royal official seeking help on behalf of his child who's dying. He obviously came with passion. He came with urgency as a father who loves his son. So put yourself in your shoes, parents. Do you love your kids? Absolutely. So it's easy to go and beg Jesus for help, right? Well, probably not so much for him because, again, he is a royal official who has nothing to do with anybody who is religious. There's a big separation in their culture here. And you can imagine that the father has probably done everything within his power at this point in time to help find healing for his son. And nothing has worked. So he swallows his pride and he goes and he begs a religious man, Jesus. Jesus. He breaks protocol with the culture of the times and subjects himself to someone who is actually under his power. See, Jesus was supposed to be under his power, although we know we're all under the power of Jesus, right? Look at verse 48. Jesus says, Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Now, we aren't sure, but it seems that Jesus isn't just talking to this official, but he's probably talking to everybody else that's standing around him as well. He wants everybody to hear this message. The father's asking for a miracle for his son. He's not asking, hey, Jesus, prove your deity. Prove to me that you're the son of God. He wasn't asking that. He just wants his son to be healed. But Jesus rebuked those who depend on signs, who depend on miracles to bolster their faith. I'm not going to believe until I see something, Jesus. That's who Jesus is talking to. It might seem that Jesus has these harsh words to this man. All he wants is his son healed. But he encountered so many people time after time that all they wanted to do, just show me what you can do and then maybe I'll believe. Think about it. Would this man have believed in Jesus without a sign or miracle? Let me ask you, do you believe in Jesus even if he doesn't answer your prayers? Would you still believe in him? the deepest of prayers that you've asked and he doesn't answer? Do you still believe? Will you believe even though that job opportunity you prayed for didn't come true? Or maybe that family issue that you prayed about wasn't fixed or your money problems weren't fixed or you have something else you desperately prayed for and it's still the same. Do you believe based on who Jesus is? Or do you believe based on what he does or does not do for you? Hashtag selfish interest. Right? See, we say seeing is believing. We've heard that before, right? Well, seeing is believing. Jesus says believing is seeing. He always took things and turned them around, Right? We know that signs and miracles can lead a person towards belief in God. We know that. Somebody sees a miracle and all of a sudden's like, I believe, I believe, right? But signs and miracles from God, those are obviously good things, but they shouldn't be the firm foundation of our faith. Our faith should not be based upon what we've seen God do. It's on who God is. Signs and miracles may not change the heart. Because we saw that in the Old Testament. All those children of Israel that were led out of Egypt with Moses, they saw incredible signs on Mount Sinai. They even heard the voice of God. We read that in Exodus. Yet a short time later, they worshiped a golden calf. So the royal official replies look at verse 49 in your Bibles. He replies back, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Now, the father didn't plead why the boy should be healed. He he didn't say, well, my child is of noble birth. Oh, my boy's a good boy. He didn't do that. He didn't give reason to Jesus. This is why you need to heal my son. He just pleaded, heal my son. So Jesus does the miraculous. Look at verse 50. Jesus told him, go back home, your son will live. And the man believed that Jesus, what Jesus said, and he started home. Did you see that? I believe you. He started heading home. That 20-mile trek, right? I love it. Jesus turns the temperature down 20 miles away. He just did something that nobody's ever heard of before. Right, This is a long-distance miracle, showing that, again, God's power spans time and distance. This would have been an even more incredible story to us a few hundred years ago. It's not so much incredible to us now, maybe, thanks to the fact that I can text somebody hundreds and thousands of miles away within a second, or I can FaceTime somebody in another country right now. Distance doesn't seem so distant to us anymore, does it? But if we were to read this story maybe even to a couple hundred years ago, it would have been maybe even a little bit more miraculous. Consider a hundred years ago, information traveled at the speed of ships, trains, and horses, right? Remember the Pony Express? Some of the younger generation is like, pony what? Right? The Pony Express were riders who took our mail 75 miles a day on the back of a horse, making a 2,000-mile trip from Missouri. To California. Today we're like, I could have just emailed that or texted, right? A couple hundred years ago, they didn't do that. George, when George Washington died on December 14th, 1799, it took a week for word to travel from Virginia to New York. A lot of Americans didn't even know that their president had passed (laughs) away. Calendar year, they had no clue. International news traveled even slower. So when you look at this miracle that Jesus performed, which he did a lot of in-person, face-to-face, this one, he's 20 miles away. And he said, go on home, your son will be fine. It was like that, in that very moment, he was healed. His power transcends all dimensions of space and time. Jesus severely tested this man's faith, forcing him, basically, do you believe in my word, not in my actions? do you believe in what I just said, not in what you have seen? The man did. Many people want the dramatic effects of God's actions, right? We want to see the miracles. And sometimes God provides them. Sometimes God does not show us these mighty actions, these visual signs, right? And what's going through the mind of this father at this point in time, I have no idea. What is he thinking? Could he be debating whether he should trust Jesus or whether he should continue to beg him and to heal his son? Should he stay and just, Jesus, come on, just go with me, show me, you know, or do you just go and just trust him? Despite the test, the man took Jesus at his word and started home. The royal official demonstrated that faith is simply taking Jesus at his word. That's what you said, Jesus. I take you at your word. A common I hear a lot of people say sometimes is my faith would be stronger if I could just have maybe lived back in the day and walked with Jesus and see what he did. I'd, I'd be a stronger Christian today if, if I could have walked with Jesus. I will admit that I probably have said that a few times myself. Man, if I could have just been standing next to Moses when he did the things he did. Oh, if I could have seen what maybe you know Paul and Peter did or or just hang out with Jesus. If I could have been in that boat and watched Peter walk on water, if I could have been the one that walked on water with Jesus, my faith would be so much stronger today, right? Let me remind you in John 11, we read of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, a convincing sign. Jesus brings somebody back from the dead that he is the son of God, right? But if you read on, it says that authorities took the miracle as a reason to oppose Jesus, not to believe in him. There's a verse I thought was really crazy. Look at the scripture, John 6, 66. You know, when you throw three sixes together, everybody starts freaking out. It's a sign of the beast, and they get all crazy, right? But look what that verse says. There were many, this is after Jesus has fed 5,000 people, walked on water, but he goes, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted Jesus. Are you kidding me? They just saw all these miracles, but yet, at this point, a lot of them just walked away from Jesus and deserted him. Because they wanted to see. Look in your Bibles. Let's continue in verse 51. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. And he asked them when the boy had begun to get better. They replied, "Yesterday afternoon, one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared." Then the father realized that was the very same time Jesus and I were having that conversation. Can you imagine when you're on your way home and these servants run into you and they tell you, "Hey, your son's alive." First of all, the incredible elation and celebration of the fact that your boy is going to be okay. That is awesome. Every parent gets that, right? The royal official believed it before the evidence, but you can only imagine the beautiful news to hear it from these servants. But according to the servants, it happened yesterday at 1 o'clock. Think this through with me. He spoke with Jesus at 1 o'clock the day before. It's a four to five hour walk home. Downhill. Okay? He didn't run home after that miracle proclaimed by Jesus, did he? He took his time. Very leisurely. That means this royal official in taking his time to go back home trusted Jesus. You know what? Jesus said, my boy's going to be okay. He took his time getting home. It's the next day. It wasn't four or five hours later. It was the next day. Charles Spurgeon said this. He did not go home immediately as though he must be in time to get to another doctor if Christ had not succeeded. But he went his way leisurely and calmly, confident in the truth of what Jesus said to him. Now, we read in verse 53 that he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. See, the miraculous power of Jesus developed greater faith in both the royal official and his family. Do you remember the story of the water to wine? How people's faith, just the servants, but the entire household, again, his disciples, believed him in even more. Their faith was deepened by personal experience of God's power. So we come to the conclusion of the story, and so we need to ask some questions. Jesus is no longer walking on this planet right now in the flesh, performing miracles, is he? I don't know if any of you have seen Jesus lately. I haven't. If you have, that means he's come back, and I missed it, and I'm very upset, okay? But none of us have seen Jesus walk around doing miracles, have we? And John, when he's writing here, he's writing to an audience that might not have even seen Jesus. So when we're reading this, the question we face, the question that the, anybody who's read the book of John must ask is this Will you, will I, take Jesus at his word without seeing a miracle? Will you? Will you take Jesus at his word? what he said he would do in your life without seeing any evidence you know the first two miracles of the gospel of john took place in cana of galilee they were there are some incredible similarities with both miracles you'll talk, you'll hear about the phrase third day and there's a few other things in there there's a lot of similarities probably about five or six similarities with these miracles but there's one major difference The first miracle was a time of what? Celebration, elation. It was a wedding. most incredible thing. The second miracle was, quite frankly, the opposite. A time of tragedy and hurt. Illness. Soon death of a child. Jesus is needed and Jesus is real in both circumstances. But what happens when we, like the royal official, go to the distance to seek God for help? And it seems like he didn't answer. What do you do? What if you are like that royal official and you've gone to Jesus over and over and you feel like you've gone the distance, but you're not hearing Jesus say it's going to be okay and you're not seeing any kind of evidence? What if you're the one who went to Jesus and you get home to discover that your child died? Will you keep your faith in Jesus even when you don't see the answer? I don't know how many of you know could answer this question for me, but if I were to say, how many people are on this planet Earth right now? Could you give me an answer? I went to the computer, checked it out, the world census uh, site, and it gave me a picture, or it gave me a clock, and it's actually clicking right now. So this number is probably about 24 hours old, okay? So the number's a little bit higher, but if you look, there's 7,448,645,613 people on this planet currently. Okay, and that number's actually gone a little bit higher. That's a lot of people. Can you imagine all of us lining up in a single file line? Okay, Now, it would stretch over 1,500,000 miles if you took all 7 billion of us, lined us up. You know how many times around the equator lined up that would be? That's 60 times. That's a lot of people. Okay. I had to do the math, pull out the calculator on that one. It almost makes you feel insignificant, doesn't it? I am one in a million. No, you're one in seven billion. Oh. Feels sort of insignificant, right? Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 to 30. Look at this, what Jesus says. What's the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall on the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. The point is this. God cares about every single one of us. All seven billion God knows and cares about. Every minute detail about your life, God knows. He knows it. Which included the official's son. That includes you. He knows you. He loves you. The problem is when we, one of God's creation, get sick or hurt, maybe we're innocently abused, victimized, or, worst of all, tragedies, killed. That's when the problem occurs. I mean, why doesn't God end all cancer, stop all accidents, end all starvation, right? Here's the thing. We can't answer that. We can ask the question all day long, but we can't answer it. See, we're reminded every day that we live in a fallen world. Where the people have a free will to make their own choices, which they can, we live in a fallen world. And just as much as God loves us and has a purpose and a plan for us, we need to remember that the enemy also has a horrible plan for us. Are you hearing me on this? We always remember, oh, God has a purpose and a plan for me and we are so excited about it. You need to remember that the enemy has a plan for you as well. We live in a cosmic battlefield going back and forth. But we don't have to live in fear because our God is victorious. Say that with me. Our God is victorious. One more time. Our God is victorious. So in this cosmic battlefield that we face right now, listen, we can choose sides. And I encourage you to choose the side of God. Abraham Lincoln said this, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side. And choosing God's side doesn't free us from sickness or accidents because bad things happen to good people. We know that. And we can't control our circumstances, but you can live with confidence. Knowing that, as Paul said, all things work together for the good of those, right? Who are called according to his purpose. We always go to that scripture, right? This is the confidence we have. Complete and final victory will not be on this earth, but in the future, in a new heaven and a new earth. Psalm 145.3 says this. I got the worship team to come forward. Psalm 145.3 says, Great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. See, part of believing in a miracle is believing in a God who is able to perform a miracle. And our God is able. No doubt about it. You know, I love how this story ends or how it begins. It goes, and Jesus went back to Cana. Every now and then we need to go back to where we saw God do something mighty. Jesus went back to Cana. A stone's throw away from where those stone jars of water were turned to wine. He was right there in the same place. Do you think David ever went back to the place where he had that slingshot and he took down Goliath? Do you think he ever went back to say, there was victory in this place? Do you think any other people, maybe Moses went back to the burning bush and said, I met God here and he did something incredible. Do you think any other godly men and women went back to those places of victory to be reminded that God is real? Do you think Lazarus ever went back to his tomb that Jesus pulled him out of and put flowers down and said, not here, not today, because my Lord is real? Jesus went back to Cana to do the second miracle. Every now and then you need to go back to where you saw God do something mighty in your life and remind yourself God is mighty in your life. And he can do the most incredible things. We all need to go back to Cana every now and then, right? Would you please stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome and mighty God you are. And God, when we look into the scripture and we see the desperation of this man and his love for his son and and, and how he took you at your word. And he just went on home believing that his son was gonna be okay, and he was. What an incredible miracle. But God, sometimes, some of us in this room, we're like, I prayed, I had the same kind of faith as that royal official, I, I, I made the effort. But God, I came home and nothing changed. God, sometimes our circumstances are what they are in this cosmic battlefield. But God, we know this, you don't change. You are a God who loves us. You know every single detail about our life, but yet you still love us. And that's amazing to me. And God, even though we may not see every single one of our prayers answered in our lifetime, we know that your purpose, your plans are perfect. And someday we'll figure it out when we are in your presence. But until that day, we're going to keep praying. Until that day, we're going to look at those moments when we we see a last-minute victory in a game. It's like, how did that happen? We're going to remember, Lord, that moments like that give us hope that you can do things in our lives that we can't can't even dream of. God, you're mighty. God, you're awesome. God, remind us of that today. We love you, Lord. We worship you in song. In our name we pray. (laughs) i <laughs>